Welcome back to 24's podcast. I'm back for a super late podcast this Saturday morning at 1 o'clock. I've been watching TV all day, just ready, just getting ready, just waiting around for uh, school to start back up. Oh, gosh. Went to the gym. Second day in a row, right? Went back to the gym yesterday, or technically, I guess, Thursday. Worked on my legs and my back, and or not my legs and my back, legs, chest. And then today, I foolishly worked on arms, biceps, triceps, deltoids, did all of it today, and then foolishly went and worked out my back, which, and I did like a machine when it, I, I did like a back row machine, bad idea, worked out my arms way too much, barely worked out, I mean, I worked out my back, but not as much as I worked out my arms, I was really tired at the end of my workout, but. I feel great. I feel great. Same thing goes with my legs, legs and chest. I usually get DOMS. DOMS means delayed onset muscle soreness. It, it essentially, it's a nice long term to essentially mean that I get, whenever I train and whenever I work out, I train in muscle failure and like significant muscle fatigue. So I'm always sore multiple days after I work out. And some people are like, no shit, no shit, Sherlock. You always get sore whenever you start working out. No, 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 no. I get sore for like a week. And this time around, I was like, I have school. I have other things to do. I just can't get doms and lie around in pain for like two to three weeks. I have things to do. So I, um, I'm splitting up my workouts now where it's like way more manageable. Where I mean, I'm still, I, I'm still sore from Thursday's workout. And I'm about to do like abs and work out my back and stuff like that. My lower back. But, um, like, I'm still sore, but it's not like I can't move my body because it feels like I have rigor mortis and I'm just stiff all the time. But, no, I'm I'm back. I'm back to training, and I'm on an actual good workout regimen, and I need to move some workouts around, but, man, I'm back. I'm so fucking ready. I'm so fucking ready to lift all these fucking weights. And it's like I'm way stronger too. It's like the older I get, the more bigger I retain. Or like I'm I'm usually skinny, right? I'm usually just skinny. But the older I get, the slower my metabolism gets. So I just am bigger now. Not fatter, but I've like put on more muscle. Like my arms are way bigger than when uh like a year ago. Than like a year ago. So I don't know. I'm easily stronger. But I just don't have any endurance right now. But I don't know. I'm I'm tired. Ridiculously tired. I want to go to sleep. Or more specifically, I want to watch Suits. I was watching Suits for the past, I don't know, the past couple of days. It's going to be so sad when I get all caught up and the series ends on a weird note. But I don't know. Some of the stuff that happens in the TV show. In the TV show, um... I could see from a fucking mile away. You know what pisses me off, right? There are some great TV shows that, because of the pandemic, didn't get, like, an awesome send-off, like, an awesome ending. Like, Shameless is one of those. I love Shameless. The, uh, what's his name? The guy, uh, Jeremy Allen White, the guy that plays Lip Gallagher, who's one of my favorite characters ever in, like, television. He went on to play the guy with the curly hair and bear. Or The Bear, which I still haven't seen yet. But I loved Shameless. I loved everything about that TV show. It was a 10-year-old TV show. It was awesome. It was great. And then it fucking ends on a, in my opinion, horrendous note. Like, it's just, like, it's just, it sucked so much. I was so sad. I couldn't fucking believe it. I was so disappointed with how it ended, and... I cry myself to sleep every single night considering just how bad of an ending it was and considering just how awesome of a TV show Shameless was. It's just, oh my God, I'm giga sad, giga, giga, giga sad that it ended the way that it did, but I don't know. I feel like that's kind of the same thing that happened with Suits where it's just like it ended horrendously. And there's really not a lot I can do about it, but I don't know. I'm just uh, 
certain TV shows deserve fucking better. Anyways, sorry. I'm tired. This will probably be a 10 to 20 minute podcast. I always say that. And I usually say it with the best of intentions. I'm, I'm like, eh, it'll be a 10, 20 minute podcast or whatever. And then it's always like the normal time. It's always like, hold on. It's always like the, it's, it's always like a normal podcast. And I don't mean for it to be, but it just, it just happens that way. Is Blue Mountain State on DVD? I keep getting... I keep getting now... I keep getting offers for like these huge collector things and all that good stuff and I don't know. But I'm looking at Blue Mountain State and I'm like, wait, was Blue Mountain State... Is Blue Mountain State actually... Yes, I was like... I, I, I've been looking up TV shows and stuff like that and I was like, oh, Blue Mountain State actually does have a complete series... It has, like, all the episodes and stuff like that. It has Blue Mountain State. Is it 870-minute TV show? Like, 870 minutes is almost, like, 50-something episodes. 50-something 20-minute episodes. That's insane how long that is. I don't know. Sorry. I'm getting way too caught up here. Way too caught up. As I just got it in my card. Sorry. Um, let's let's talk about football because I'm already all over the place with just conversations and stuff like that. There's been some weird fallout from the Cat Williams interview. If you don't know what I'm talking about, I what rock have you been living under for the last couple of days? One of the weird fallouts has been, I mean, I guess how popular Shannon Sharp's podcast has been, but also it's just been like, I saw Kevin Hart today do his broadcast of like his alternate broadcast of basketball. And I love Kevin Hart, the comedian. Like, I think Kevin Hart is a really great comedian, but his response on the show, it was it was a yikes. But it was a weird it's a weird segment. I was like, I did not have that bingo card that Cat Williams would come out and absolutely like destroy the kings of comedy, the original kings of comedy, and Steve Harvey and Cedric the Entertainer and praise DL Hewley and Ber- uh, Bernard McCullum, aka Bernie Mac, who's one of my favorite comedians ever. Specifically and especially his work that he did on the Bernie Mac show, which I think is some of his best comedy ever, at least in my opinion. But I'm like, by by the way, can I speak on Steve Harvey and Cedric the Entertainer, right? A lot of people are dogpiling on anyone and everyone who Cat Williams has gone after. I like some of Steve's comedy, like Steve Harvey's comedy. I really do. I think his comedy, though, is only works in a very limited fashion. And granted, I couldn't, to be honest with you, I couldn't watch whatever he was going to say on his version of of uh, of the Club Shay Shay interview with Shannon Sharp. I couldn't watch that because I was like, I, I, I just, sometimes he talks, sometimes the analogies and the metaphors that he, that he tries to formulate are bad. They don't really make a lot of sense. And they're incoherent, dribble, and ridiculous. But Steve Harvey, his comedy works in a very, very specific avenue and a specific arena. And when he gets out of that arena, I think it doesn't work uh, that well. Like, I've seen the Kings of Comedy, and it is very obvious that Bernie Mac is running circles around the majority of of the other guys. Cedric the Entertainer as well. Like the uh he had this he like it's so fascinating. It's so fascinating how how accurate a lot of the Cat Williams interview was. Like Cat Williams talking about how Cedric the Entertainer stole one of his jokes. The joke where he's like backing up where he uses music to back into a parking space. And 
I couldn't believe that that was a joke that Cedric the Entertainer stole from Cat Williams because that's like the only joke that I know of Cedric the Entertainer. Like, that's the only thing that I know of Cedric the Entertainer. That's the only comedy that I know of uh, from him. And he 1,000% stole it. It's like the parallels are insane. Um, But, yeah, yikes. Yikes, man. Like, Steve Harvey. I mean, he's great on Family Feud, I think. But I don't watch Family Feud either. That's the thing. It's like it's like I say, I'm like, he's great on Family Feud, but I'm like, I don't watch it. I watch the clips of it on YouTube. I've never really been that big of a fan of Cedric the Entertainer's comedy because I don't really know what his comedy is. What is his comedy? You know what I mean? Like, Dave Chappelle's comedy is going to be, uh, like, political and stuff like that and social and it's going to talk about like Kevin Hart's comedy is going to be I don't know how to describe it but very personal he's going to talk about his life and his perspective he's not really going to bring politics into it and he's going to kind of make these hilarious observations in and around his life and that's kind of how he's going to formulate and craft his comedy that's his stick Steve Harvey is going to make kind of country ob observations about life and things of that nature and he's going to root that tie that into his comedy i don't really know what cedric the entertainer does i don't know bernie mac is just going to be funny (laughs) i'm like that that that's what his comedy is bernie mac is just let's just be funny i don't know how to describe bernie mac's comedy but he's just like i'm just going to be funny and it works it works very well but yeah, Cat Williams' interview was, I mean, everybody's talking about it. Um, I loved it. I thought some of the shit that w- was fucking ridiculous and just not true. Like saying that he reads 3,000 books. Like he read 3,000 books in a year when he was a kid. That was something that Kevin Hart talked about. And that was something that when I was watching the interview, Shannon needs to be better at pushing back on just ridiculous statements. Like both in the Cat Williams interview, and even Cat Williams Williams mentioned some of the things that Shannon should have pushed back on. I'm like, why? Like, he has not read 3,000 books a year. That's Cap. When he was like six or seven. That's Cap. That's not true. Maybe like 3,000 books over the course of his life, because that's probably, I mean, I'm in or around that number, to be honest with you, as well. Maybe not 3,000, but like easily over 1,000. So, eh, maybe not a thousand, to be honest with you, but it's like a couple hundred. Not a couple hundred, but you know what I mean. Like, I've probably in my life read somewhere close to like 500, 600 books. And that's like your traditional chapter books to like comic books, manga. And yes, those count as books. They have words and they're written on papers and they have spines and da 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 da. Okay? Most people don't read to begin with. Don't shame the people who do. But yeah, like if we're including like non-traditional books, like comic books and stuff like that, then it's probably, it's probably over a thousand at that point. But then it's just like, books aren't really that important. It's more along the lines of like pages. Like how many pages do you read as well? Because if we're talking like how many pages you're reading, I think that's also really important. Because you can read like a book with, 30 pages in it and then there's your book but like reading a book for example like I have two books that I'm reading I have another book that I really really liked when I um when I was reading it during mental health awareness month um at my college it's called the comfort book it's by Matt Haig um it has like 200 pages in it and it's one of those books that a lot of people it's that a lot of people have like gotten on gotten in on this weird trend of like writing books where essentially it has like words of affirmation in it like in one chapter like one page oh wait yeah the pages the pages can also have like a little a little bit of like words in it like one page for example is titled to be is to let go and then it has two sentences in it it says self-forgiveness makes the world better you don't become a good person by believing you are a bad one right it's a great, it's a great like philosophical insight, right? But it's only two sentences, really three if you want to count the title. And that's one page of a, I think, 200-page book. Again, right? 
like when you start reading as many books as I have and I do, it's like pages and words per page are more important than the actual books that you're reading. Oh yeah, as, as well as like the difficulty as well. Like Anna Karenna is a completely different beast than for example, um, A Song of Ice and Fire, which is Game of Thrones. Like Game of Thrones is an 800 page book. Anna Karenna is like 600 pages. I would rather read A Song of Ice and Fire twice before I read Anna Karenna another time. I've read Anna Karenna once. I haven't read A Song of Ice and Fire. I haven't, by the way. But my point is, right, is that books are very complex. I don't even know how I got to this point. Books are complex. For anyone that wants to be critical of people who are reading certain content, uh, don't. Also, people who read books. Now, now I'm on a rant. Now I'm on a rant. Buckle in. Get strapped up. Now I'm on a rant. People who read books, okay, stop bragging about how many books you read, okay? I've seen people in the span of a year read like a ridiculous amount of pages and and things of that nature, and it's just like, they'll read the worst books I've ever, and I just, I'm, I'm a, I am a raging hypocrite, okay, raging hypocrite, because I just said, don't be critical of people who read, and now I'm being critical of people who read, but I'm only being critical of people who obnoxiously post and talk about how many books they read, Let me show you something, right? Like, people will read a fucking ridiculous amount of books in one motherfucking year, and or they'll read, like, a ridiculous amount of books, and um, they'll read, like, a ridiculous amount of, like, crappy books in a year, right? Like, they'll read, they'll read, like, a shit ton of manga or a shit ton of, like, like comic books and they'll count that as an individual book and they'll be like I read like 500 books this year and like half of the content is like manga and I'm like at a certain point the reading level of a manga book is not the equivalent as like reading uh, uh like Brandon Sanderson right like reading let me get my book let me, uh, let me get, let me get, um, let me get a way of Kings. Like I have a way of, I'm not going to get it. It's in my media center. It's in my little hole where I go and I watch movies and TV and I write and stuff like that. And I do homework, but reading Brandon Sanderson is a completely different story in regards to the difficulty of reading rather than reading like a comic book or a manga. You get better by reading, by reading, A, number one, and also attributing and attuning skills to reading as well. But then on top of that, right, you also, like, like I've read comic books, I've read very easy books, and I've, I went from, I went from in high school, right, I went from, and even in middle school, I went from pretty much reading below, at a below average level, to when I was in high school reading a thousand page books, like It in the Stand. I read the, st I read It in a month, and I read The Stand, I think, my freshman year of college, while also reading, like, Salem's Lot as well. Like, I read, so these are Stephen King books, by the way, and these are some of the best of Stephen King. And so I read Stephen King, Mr. Mercedes, I read Stephen King. I love Stephen King, He's a fantastic author, fantastic storyteller. But I go from like reading at a below average level to essentially reading at a college level in four straight years. But that took a lot of time and effort. But I just, it annoys the shit. Like I could definitely read more. I went, I did the book a week grind when I was in my, when I, in 2019 and I loved it, but I also hated it because I didn't like some of the material that I was reading. So I understand the duality of it. As I look at all of the books that I should have read this year, by the way, behind me, they're just, they're taunting me because I didn't really read. I didn't hit any of my goals. I'm from last year. I kind of did. I, I, how many books did I read last year? It's not a lot. I didn't read a lot of books last year, but it was, I said I wanted to read like 20 books. I read, I think eight. 
wasn't a lot. Or is it more than that? Was it eight? Yeah, it was. It was ten. It was ten. That's sad. I didn't reach my goal last year of reading 20 books, but I read more. I read more books. Anyways. Um, did I read 10? Or did I read more than that? I probably, I probably did, yeah. I mean, I read more than that, I just didn't log it. I have, like, this book journal that I was supposed to log all of my readings, and I didn't. Regardless, um, well, I, I didn't I say that this podcast is supposed to be 20 minutes long and now I'm on a rant about people who read books. Yeah, I'm tired of people who talk about how many books they read. Uh, like, check check this out. Check this out, right? Check this out. I have maybe not 500 books, but I had I, at my fucking peak, at my motherfucking peak, right? At my motherfucking peak, I was reading a book a week, a book a week, that's 52 books in a year, okay, that is a lot, that is like, I think a little bit over 12,000 pages that I read in a year, this motherfucker, this person that I will not say, because I'm not trying to be like gooberly critical, I'm, I'm being ironically satirical, because on the one hand, I'm a hypocrite because I'm like, don't criticize people who read. But on the other hand, I'm like, why are these people reading so many goddamn books? And this person right fucking here is a part of the problem that I'm talking about. She read 90 fucking books in a year. 90. Okay? Now, I'm not saying that you have to read self-help books because self-help books are kind of bullshit. As somebody, I mean, I'm 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 two-faced right now cuz I'm speaking out of both sides of my mouth and I'm taking both positions, okay? You don't have to read like self-help books, for example, like I do. I read a shit ton of self-help books and I also read a lot of fiction as well, but it's like like for everybody that's reading a shit ton of non-fic or fiction books, can you read like one fantastic non-fiction book every once in a while and not all of these romantic books that are absolute dog shit that like literally Brandon Sanderson I remember watching this interview of Brandon Sanderson is like one of the most popular one of the world's biggest seller selling authors currently he is on this I gotta get it I gotta get it hold on give me one second Anyways, Brandon Sanderson, infamous writer, one of the biggest fictional writers currently, right? He is writing currently this huge, fictitious, epic series, epic fan, high fantasy series. High fantasy is essentially, it equals just for giga mega nerds, okay? He is writing this high fantasy series that has 10 books planned to be in it that are all, every single fucking book. These are 10 fucking books. 10 books! Every single book is supposed to be a thousand pages. You heard me right. Every single motherfucking book is supposed to be a thousand pages. How does that make sense? Make that make sense. Make it make sense. But yeah. Speaking of books, I gotta get, I'm. you know what I'm sick of? I'm sick of putting it off. I want to read a Game of Thrones. I'm making the decision now. I haven't read a book in a very long time. And it's like... I do want to read a Game of Thrones. I really do. I really do. But it's like it's a thousand pages. I already have a shit ton of books. I know I'm not speaking into the mic, but I'm I'm looking at all the books that I'm that I have behind me. And it's like, whenever you... Whenever you have positive momentum... Like, whenever you start doing things that you're supposed to do, you kind of want to do more of the things that you're supposed to do. I can't really describe it. It, it is, I guess, as simply as I just stated it. 
It is positive momentum. I'm generating positive momentum. I haven't picked up a book and really sat down and re-read in like a really, really long time and been focused and dedicated on finishing books in like a really long time. But now it's like I look at my, I look at the books behind me, not as this daunting task that I will never overcome and achieve, but as a achievable feat that I am now behind on that I want to get back into the saddle. I'm a cowboy. I ride horses. I'm a reader. I read books and I'm not reading books and I want to get back into reading books. Let me get it. Hold on. Let me get one book. One other book. I want to get a couple of books that I want to dedicate myself to reading here in a couple of minutes, in a couple of months. Hold on. Hold on. Give me like two seconds. I got this one. Always want to read it. I've heard some good stuff. Let me go into my closet. Let me get one one thing really fast. Hold on. Hold on. Give me one second. Give me one second. Hold on. I mean, give me more than one second. I'm going to take more than one second. resolution type of person because I think that New Year's resolutions are a bit ridiculous, a bit pretentious, and most importantly, nobody fucking follows their New Year's resolutions. However, I do want it like maybe not a New Year's resolution, but just like a commitment, you know, kind of a rebit. I mean it's fuck it it's a new year's resolution because it's just like i also think that it's a bit annoying and pretentious to rebrand something that's already a thing i guess it's like my new year's resolutions are to work out more and to read these books this year as i also i have an i have another book it's a book about cancer and like the new concepts with cancer but I mean, it's already, I already went over to my desk once and I, I don't want to go over there. So here's some of the books that I plan on reading in the next, it's January, probably, it's like if I read 50 pages a day, every single day, I remember doing the math last year when I was reading books. If I read like 50 pages a day, every single day, that's 250 or no, that's 350, that's 350 pages, that's 1,000 pages in a month, so I have, I think a three, 400 page book already over there, like on my desk, I have, and the book on my desk is a, is told, is called A New War on Cancer, and then I have the comfort book, which I want to read, I have Never Finished, which is kind of like a self-help book, but it's, I love I it, it's by this guy by the name of David Goggins. Maybe you've heard of him, maybe you haven't. He's the uh he's the guy that for some weird reason likes to subject himself to a multitude of difficult challenges and try to in, try to essentially test his incredible endurance and mental fortitude and strength and never finished is this book about I guess how 
I, I don't know. I read his first book, You Can't Hurt Me, which I thought was fantastic. And in this book, he, like, puts these pictures of his blood being drained from his knees and how the doctor is like, I don't know how you're walking because the blood in your knees isn't red. Like, it's it's out of your body. And so it should be red because there's oxygen in the air, right? Because usually your blood is blue, right? And so your blood is now oxygen, oxygenated, meaning that there's oxygen inside of it. And it's still wet, red, and we don't know why it's red. You shouldn't be able to walk. And so, never finished. And then I have Thinking Fast and Slow. Daniel, I don't know how to say his name, but he won a Nobel Prize in Economics, or the book that he wrote won a Nobel Prize in Economics. I don't believe in self-help books by just random people, random unqualified people. I believe in self-help books by actually qualified people and this book thinking fast and slow is like one of the books that constantly gets recommended in regards to like self-help books it is it's kind of a beast it's like four 400 pages 400 pages i don't even know what it's about but apparently it's a good one it's a good book by the way you know you have like a really really in, in self-help book slash non-fiction book i guess these a lot of the books that I read teach modern philosophy by different not by different perspectives but by people with different perspectives I guess but um you know you've kind of stumbled along a really really nice book that a, a nice good book when it comes to like when it comes to like self-help books uh when they have like an appendix an appendix and a notes section. A notes section is essentially like they're sourcing stuff. And then they also have like an index as well. Like it's pretty much like a mini textbook. So you know that that's essentially a good potential self-help book. Way of Kings by Brandon Sanderson is another book. I've already read 350 pages, but it's been months since I've picked it up again. Um, I have, I think, three non-fiction books and three fictional books, but the fictional books are like a thousand pages long. Like, I have Ship of Magic, which is by Robin Hobb, which is a part of the Live Ship Trader series. George R. R. Martin is, like, quoted as liking these books, but I like these books because I'm, I like pirates and I liked the universe that, uh, that the Live Ship Trader series is in. And then, of course, I got Game of Thrones a Game of Thrones, which it's a part of A Song of Ice and Fire. It's a part of that book series. But A Song of Ice and Fire is the book series. A Game of Thrones is the is the first book within the series. It's a little bit confusing, I know. But yeah, those are the books that I plan on reading in the next, I don't know, five months. Three of them, I need like a thousand pages. Three of them are like a thousand pages or something like that. I don't know. I'll probably start reading A Way of Kings here very soon because it's just like, I got to read it. Plus, it's like I got to read that book on cancer. At one point in time, I was reading like 150 pages a day instead of reading 50 last year. That didn't work out at all. That didn't work because um, the reason why I was reading so much, right, I used to go for, I, I went from reading 50 pages a day to 150. reason why I just went balls to the wall when it came to reading was because I was reading three books simultaneously and that didn't work because I just lost interest in two of two of the three books and I just speed read one book and yeah it, it just it wasn't pretty I would read like 150 pages out of that one book and then I would get disinterested with the other two books it's it it, it wasn't very good my ingenious plan of reading three books at the exact same time to cut down on time uh, didn't work, but yeah, 50 pages a day is what I'm shooting for. You know what I hate? I hate working back up to things. I hate like work. Like I, I should probably pace myself and work my way up to reading a hundred pages a day or not a hundred, but 50 pages a day. But instead I'm, I'm not even going to follow my own advice of pacing myself. I'm just going to go, I'm just going to beast it. 
because I'm a psychopath and I want to get things done fast. I want things now. I'm a millennial slash Gen Zer. I have no patience and I don't care. I want it now and that's how I want it. <clears throat> Anyways. Yeah, I guess those are my New Year's resolutions to like work out more. Also to get better grades. My grades were like, I didn't get a single A in any of my classes and I should have. But I will this semester. I'm hoping to get like A's and B's. But yeah, those are my New Year's resolutions. Books, working out, and better grades overall. So I'm reading, like, I'm watching this person, I'm watching this girl, right, talk about how many books she's read this last year in 2023. And look, I'm happy for her. Hey, you know, she did a great job. She worked her, she worked her ass off. She read a shit ton of books. But it's like, my fucking God, okay? How many of those books, I, first and foremost, I don't see a thousand page book on her fucking shelf. I don't see one. It, it fucking, it doesn't piss me off like conventionally and I'm not like mad at her because you know she's I feel like it's cheating you have to read a thousand page book once a year or a long ass book it can't just be I'm gonna fucking pump out 300 page books especially when she has the capacity to read it like she like people are reading like these people that are like I'm reading 90 books a year they're reading for like four hours a day it's like bro I read an hour a day it's ridiculous how fucking fast, or not fast, but how much content you guys are like sifting through. And they're not hard books. I'm going to say it. I'm going to say it. None of the books they read are hard books. I mean, I read probably one difficult book a year. One a year. And it's just like they're reading fucking cupcakes. It's like, it's like, I'm, a, it's like I'm an NFL team. You know what I mean? And I got to go up against like playoff teams every other week or whatever. And they're in college and they're playing fu fucking cupcakes out here. I love how I'm uberly critical of these people that are reading like 90 books a year. While I haven't even seen how the, like the books that they've read, they could be, they could be reading great books, great difficult books. I don't know. I just, I'm very annoyed, very annoyed with myself. It's like, I love that, but I love how I'm like, I'm, I'm behind on reading my books and I'm criticizing people who actually have put in the work and who actually have read just annoyed. You know what I should also read? I should also read the Witcher series. I have like the entirety of it on my iPad. Love it. Anyways, um What was I saying? What am I excited for, I guess? Um bu -bu 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 -bu. Boy, I'm tired. I'm tired. Anyways, um, guess we should get on to the NFL here. After talking about <laughs> books and New Year's resolutions, I guess. Um, NFL is this weekend. Should we talk about the draft? I always wanted to. I said I was going to have a conversation about the draft every single week. Um, I haven't really done my due diligence that much. Give me a little bit of time in that regard. Here's what I'll say about the draft. Here's what I'll say overall. And I'll probably have more to add next week when the um, when the actual draft, or not when the actual draft, but when the majority of the draft, about half of the NFL kind of comes out. We'll have, I think, 18 of 32 teams that are set because 14 teams are going to be competing in the playoffs this year as they do as they have been doing for the last three years since the NFL expanded it to a seventh playoff seed and a 17th regular season game. I'll probably have more information to talk about the playoffs then, but not the playoffs, but the draft, excuse me. But the draft is this year, again, it's going to be huge. It's going to be big. You want to know what's so interesting Right, one of the hugest, biggest games of this weekend, Dallas at Commanders. A lot of people expect Dallas to lose, and it's so weird that people have this weird relationship with short-term memory loss, you know, because people, 
I, I was watching the Commanders game today, and it, it's just so weird how fast people will jump from narrative to narrative. At the beginning of the season, it was that Dak is going to throw a beginning uh, not a beginning, excuse me. Uh, he was he was going to throw a bajillion interceptions, and then when that didn't happen, it was, well, Dallas hasn't played anybody. And then when that didn't happen, it was, well, then Dallas doesn't score in the red zone. And that's what Tony Romo and Jim Nance were talking about when the Cowboys played up against the Commanders on Thanksgiving, that the Cowboys, they don't score in the red zone, which, yikes, that doesn't matter. <laughs> I was like, that's kind of true, but it's not as big of a narrative as you would think. Or it's not as significant of a narrative as you would think. But um, Dallas, as a football team, has played really well against these types of teams. Like, these are sub-500 teams. Washington is one of the worst teams in the NFL. And this is the tomato can that they beat up on on a weekly basis in November and October. And people are like, I'm calling the upset. Or I'm quietly, cowardly calling the upset and they they want to call the upset but they also don't want to call the upset they say things like the Cowboys should win this game but I wouldn't be surprised if they lost and it's just like well based off of what I say stuff like that all of the time don't get me wrong but I usually have evidence to support that the evidence that they have to support that is well Dallas doesn't win on the road which that's not true they beat Carolina on the road in Carolina badly. I was watching a Cowboys media show, right? Because whenever I'm in a good mood with the Dallas Cowboys, I want to consume more content because I'm a Cowboy fan, uh, first and foremost. But I was watching this this Cowboys.com radio show, and one of the broadcasters was like, uh, well, the Dallas Cowboys, they beat Carolina, but they didn't really beat them that badly. And she's semi-right in the sense of Dallas was up 17 to three at half at the end of the third quarter it was 10 to 17 and then at the end of the game it was 33 to 10 so it's like Dallas went on some really really nice drives in the fourth quarter their defense played really well overall against Carolina but yes, in the context of, well, Dallas didn't have like, Dallas didn't go gangbusters and didn't score like a bajillion points early on. Like, yes, that's true. But Dallas beat Carolina by 30, by 20 points, 23 to be exact. And then they beat Washington again on Thanksgiving, 45 to 10. Washington over the span of Ron Rivera's tenure there has had a horrendous relationship with Dak Prescott and the Dallas Cowboys. I mean, it's been sweep, 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 except for last year where they lost in the end of the uh, the end of the season, the end game, and um, it didn't matter because they had already locked up the fifth seed. This year, though, it matters because they want to lock up the second seed and they want to have home field advantage throughout the playoffs, which is huge for the Dallas Cowboys because they are undefeated at home during the playoff, not, um, not during the playoffs, excuse me, but during the regular season. So of course they want home field advantage and they're going to get it because Washington wants the number two overall pick and they want to, uh, to use it probably on a quarterback. You know, what will be so interesting. And I'll talk a little bit of draft and I kind of have already talked a little bit of draft. I think that will be so interesting this year is whether or not the commanders will trade up for the number one overall spot. And if they're fine and if they're great at number two and, or, I mean, a lot of things are happening at one point in time. It's like, do they trade up for the number one draft pick and, or do they have Russell Wilson? You know, do they take Caleb Williams or do they have Russell Wilson? And and if they do have Russell Wilson, do they take Joe all, you know, cause it just, it seems as if all that stuff is automatic, but you, you're in a weird situation with a bunch of other teams, with Arizona, with the Giants, with the Chargers, with a bunch of teams. They have, the, they have similar records to you, and it's just like a lot of these teams, like the Patriots, for example, they're 4-12. and 12. They want to win, or excuse me, they want to lose. They want the second overall pick. They want to draft a quarterback, and it, it's going to be interesting to see the strategies that we're going to get over the next couple of hours, over the next 24 hours in regards to some of the teams, some of these teams can make it to the playoffs. Again, I talked about how earlier this week, the Texans at Colts was going to be a huge game because it's just like, there it is. 
that's potentially your division on the line and it's going to happen technically today on January 6th. It's a it's an absolutely huge game. It's a monster game. Colts can come out and potentially win their division. The same thing goes for the Texans. I don't know. We'll see what happens. Sorry. It's like 2 o'clock where I am. But it is something to watch. Some of these teams play. Well, not some of these teams play, excuse me. But some of these teams and their records. It's like, or not records, excuse me, but their, their standings. Standings and records are synonymous. But yeah, the draft is super important. There's going to be some great picks. I talked ad nauseum a couple of days ago about draft strategy and kind of like where teams are going to fall and what teams are going to do. Again, it's like Chicago has the number one overall pick because they traded it. They traded the number one overall pick last year to the Carolina Panthers and the Carolina Panthers, they sucked this year. And the interesting question is, it's like, well, who comes up and takes Caleb Williams? And I think it can be anywhere from anyone and anywhere... I think it could be anyone like Minnesota, like Minnesota seven and nine. They need a quarterback. New Orleans, they need a quarterback. Denver needs a quarterback. Seattle probably wants a quarterback, but they're probably fine with Geno Smith. And then you also got the uh, the Raiders, potentially the Bears, but I don't think they do. I think they're fine with Justin Fields or I think they think they're fine with Justin Fields. Atlanta, they want a quarterback. The Jets, they're probably out on Zach Wilson. Uh, Titans. Giants, even though they just signed Daniel Jones to like a $40 million contract. Patriots and Washington, they all want quarterbacks. And a lot of those teams also have issues at head coach. Like apparently Monday is when Bill Belichick and Robert Kraft are going to talk about Bill Belichick's future with the New England Patriots, which is a, I mean, it's a huge conversation. It really is. And so it'll be very interesting to see what will happen long-term with some of these teams. It'll be interesting to see what will happen in the draft with a team like New England, who struggled, you know, with Bill Belichick and kind of the direction that they take the team. Apparently, a lot of people believe that Bill's about to be gone. But Bill Belichick apparently also wants to pass Don Shula's um, all-time, all-time wins record. Like, that is something that is very important to him. So it's just like, well, what do you do if you're New England? Or not even New England, because I think he's gone from New England. What do you do if you're Bill Belichick and you can't really get another spot on another squad, on another team? Where do you go? I don't know. It's a good question. But we'll see what happens. We'll see what happens with Bill. We'll see what happens with the Patriots. I'm kind of excited to see, but I yeah, I don't know what's going to happen long term. I mean, I'd probably know he's probably going to be fired, but I don't know what he's going to do and where he's going to go. Apparently, Carolina is like interested in him or something like that and yeah, I don't know. We'll see. It's kind of hard to tell. Especially, it's it's hard for me to, like, take potentially him going to Carolina when Carolina is just, like, mega dysfunctional. It's just like, yeah, you know, Carolina wants him, but it's just like, okay, sure, Carolina sucks, bro. I don't know what to tell you. I don't know. We'll see what happens. Um. Anyways, I guess we can kind of get into the final game day prediction. For this weekend, I'm tired and I want to watch some suits and put all of these fucking books away. Steelers at Ravens happening this weekend. I'll I'll take the Steelers. Apparently, Baltimore isn't going to play any of their starters for some weird reason. I mean, not for some weird reason, but I mean, they're not going to play their starters because... They don't need to play their starters. Baltimore is straight. Baltimore just needs to go out and win the damn game. That's what Baltimore needs to do. Or not Baltimore needs to do, excuse me. What Baltimore needs to do is they just need to go out and not have any of their starters uh, get hurt. Sorry. Again, I'm 
<clears throat> I'm tired. <laughs> but Baltimore needs to have all of their starters ready to go in the divisional round of the playoffs. That's what Baltimore needs to do. And so Baltimore is going to rest their starters. A lot of teams have kind of have kind of thrown out that some teams are going to um some of some teams are some teams are going to play some like significant teams are going to play their starters because they don't want them to sit for a month and essentially not play football for a month, which I can I can agree with. I can understand not wanting to just have your players sit for a month. And I don't think that it's I don't think that it's like this uh like I don't think I'm, my brain is fried right now. I'm giga tired again. It's two o'clock in the morning, but I don't think it's what I like. I think it's like whenever you play your, your team for a half or a final or whatever the case may be, I think it is a smart thing. I think it is wise to do, but I also think that there is no way around missing a lot of time and being like ready to go. I think you're still going to have some rust that you're going to have to knock off uh, depending on kind of just how satisfied your team gets, I guess. I don't know how to describe it, but I think that even if you do everything right, I think if you even play a full game, maybe not maybe not if you play a full game, but if you if you take out your guys, I still think that you still probably will have rust on your team. I I just think that there's no way of avoiding it. I think the only way that you kind of avoid it is by like having one like the bye week before the playoffs, like having another week and I don't know why they aren't going to do that as I'm watching the Dak Prescott, CD lamb, 90 something yard touchdown. I remember Marcus Spears just completely misquoted it. He said that it was like a 60, 70 yard touchdown. And I was like, dude, do you watch the games? Everybody knows it's like a 90 yard touchdown pass. Just saying it's 90 yards. He kept on going down in his numbers. And I was like, dude, it was 90 yards. I'm watching it. The guy literally tried to, he tried to destroy Dak Prescott. That's what he was trying to do. He didn't wrap him up. He was trying to launch an attack 5-5 for the Lions. Everybody's like, oh, God, the NFL's rigged because he didn't wrap up Dak Prescott. And I was like, oh, my God. Oh, Jesus Christ. Just, you're not a real person. Anyways. Let me finish with the weekend games. Houston at Colts. I'm going to take Houston. It's going to be interesting to see who wins the rookie of the year, I guess, whether it's Puka Nasua or is it going to be CJ Shroud? I think I think that there's a real argument for both. Like CJ Stroud hasn't like CJ Stroud has the numbers and he has the wins. He's played phenomenal this season. He's he's unironically like an MVP caliber player like that's not controversial for people to say that he's played at that level but uh, the same thing goes for Puka Nasua Puka is about to break the um the single season record for a rookie wide receiver which I don't know what it is but he's about to break it he's had an incredible incredible season for the Rams if the Rams didn't just if the Rams didn't get off to such a shitty start like Puka would be I mean, the Rams would be probably one of the best teams in the... I mean, they technically are. They're a playoff team. But you know what I mean. They would be a stronger contender. And it's like, Puka Nasua has 101 receptions for 1,400 yards. Like, that's insane. Like, that's better than a lot of the top receivers in the league right now. I think that's on pace with, like, A.J. Brown, for example. I think A.J. Brown has, like, I don't know. He has, like, 1,400 yards. Right, fourteen forty-seven and seven touchdowns. Puka Nasua has fourteen forty-five and five. It's like he's right there. He's right there. I I don't know what else to say. But yeah, Puka Nasua probably should be in a competition. Not in a competition. Oh my God, he should be in contention for the um for the rookie of the year. I got to get off the podcast because I am egg 
exhausted. And I'll try and go through some of these quickly. Jags at Titans. This game is mega important because I think if the Jags win, they just outright win their division. If they don't win, then it's up to whoever comes out of Texans at Colch. The Titans, however, are god-awful. They're god-awful. They have no identity. I kind of warned, and I thought that this was going to happen when they put all of their eggs in the Derrick Henry basket, and they were like, we're a running team. We're going to be a running team. We're going to be aggressive with the run. And the one thing that they didn't do, at least in my opinion, was improve the offensive line, or more specifically, improve the run blocking, and also help Derrick Henry by also getting some backup swarm so that way Derrick Henry just wouldn't have to tote the rock every single fucking time they run the football. Like having another backup running back so that way not all of the pressure is on Derrick Henry to essentially get 10 yards per carry, it helps It helps your guy and it helps your team because it's like now it's like well, we don't have to rely on Derrick Henry to do every fucking thing for our offense especially when we don't have A.J. Brown anymore because we foolishly traded him. Long story short, Jags are probably going to crush the Tennessee Titans. I think Trevor is going to be playing in this game as well. Potentially a home playoff game is on the line, and I think that the Titans are done. What will be interesting, and nobody's talking about how Mike Vrabel isn't going to lose his job. Mike Vrabel, Mike Vrabel the head coach for the Tennessee Titans, has been there for a very long time and I kind of can't believe that more people aren't talking about kind of how bad of a job he's been how long has he been there give me a second sorry um but 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 he's been there for six years man he was the he was hired in 2018 and he's won, I mean, he's won two divisions in 2020 and 2021. And that's when the Tennessee Titans were the Tennessee Titans with Derrick Henry. And then he, um, but in 2019, it was one of his best seasons. But it's like, I, I don't, I don't get what you're getting here. You know, here's his records. 9 and 7, 9 and 7, 11 and 5, 12 and 5, and then 7 and 10, and then 5 and 11. Potentially 5 and 12 this season. He has 53 wins, 45 losses. He's Jason Garrett. He's Mr. 500. Technically, he's 541. I don't get it. Like, people are like, don't fire him. He's done a great job with what he's been allowed. And it's just like, well, he had, uh, what what's his name? That's his name. What was the guy that he had? Oh, no. He got Ryan Tannehill from Miami. They made him the quarterback. They had A.J. Brown. They traded him away. Now they don't want Ryan Tannehill. All the quarterbacks that they draft, they either don't develop well or they're bad draft picks. They don't have any wide receivers. They don't have any running backs. They don't have an offensive line. Their defense is a mess. They're a bad football team. They're a bad football team, and it happened under his watch. The GM sucked that he was previously with. I get it. But when does he start uh, taking some responsibility? He's been there for six years. He's made it to the playoffs three times. I don't know what I'm getting. I mean, 50% seems good and all um, until you realize that literally towards the back half of, uh, of his career in Tennessee, he hasn't really done anything, and he's solely relying on Derrick Henry's performance to dictate the success of the football team which I obviously do not like. It's like it shouldn't all be on one player to do everything for the team. It should be a little bit more than that. Like there should be more contributions for the team and there just there just isn't. And it bothers me a lot. It really does. It kind of annoys me, but I don't know. Anyways, sorry. Anyways, I'm tired. 
Um, Vikings at Lions. Weird game. Uh, I don't. I don't know what the Vikings are gonna play for. I mean, the Vikings. Vikings have been dysfunctional. Kirk Cousins was on a heater. Kirk Cousins was playing great. I don't know if they're gonna bring him back. They probably want to lose this game because they want. They want to uh, to have a high draft pick to potentially move up and get, obviously, Caleb Williams or Michael Penix Jr. or somebody to help them utilize their awesome wide receiving core with Justin Jefferson and Jordan Addison. Speaking of Justin Jefferson, again, I've talked about how, not Detroit, but Minnesota needs to pay him like very quickly before CeeDee Lamb gets paid. I'm a bit shocked that the Cowboys and Minnesota are playing this weird game of chicken of like, hey, who can we give more leverage to? Because as soon as CeeDee Lamb gets paid, Justin Jefferson is going to get paid more. And as soon as Justin Jefferson is going to get paid, CeeDee Lamb is going to try and get as close to that number as humanly possible, if not exceed it. And it's just like, just sign your guys and you put stress on the other team. I don't know why teams... Like, it's not like teams don't have the money. It's just how you structure the contract. And I don't, I don't understand these contract negotiations with these teams. It's just, to me, they're just bad at negotiating these, these very important contracts. It's like, it's not like you don't need these contracts or you don't need these players. You do need these players. You're just not paying them for some weird reason. And I don't understand it. I don't get it, but Minnesota should pay, will pay Justin Jefferson. It's just, will they pay him before Dallas pays C.D. Lamb? But uh, Lions should beat Minnesota on Sunday. Falcons at Saints. God, yikes. I'll take the Saints. Falcons are a disaster. Falcons, at one point, once again, second year in a row, leading their division, complete and utter catastrophe of a back half of their season. And they've conceded the division once again. And now they're probably going to be staying at home. Unless something major happens, which it probably won't. I don't know if the Saints get into the playoffs. I don't really care. The whole NFC South is a bitter, bad joke of a football conference. I kind of hate talking about them. I'm excited for the playoffs because it's like I don't have to talk about either one of these teams. But, oh, my God, some of these teams are just unbearably bad, man. Unbearably bad. Saints and Falcons are two of them. Jets at Patriots. Oh, my God, two teams that just uh, – Patriots, but I don't care. Bucks at Panthers. Bucks, but I don't care. Browns at Bengals. Probably the Browns because the Browns are – I mean, they're a playoff team. They're a playoff team. And I still think that they need to win. No, they're no, they're a certified playoff team. They're eleven and five. How weird is that? The Browns are eleven and five with a backup quarterback. Not with their starter. Bears at Packers. I'm gonna take the Bears over the Packers. I feel like the Packers are just way too many people are too high on the Packers. I don't think that they're as good as people say they are, and I I don't think they're a serious playoff team, but and I don't think Jordan Love is a great or is good enough to get a contract extension, but everybody does. And But to give credit to Jordan Love, he, he also has 30 touchdowns, which is close to leading the league. So we'll see what happens. Cowboys at Commanders. Cowboys, they're better. Broncos at Raiders. Probably the Raiders. The Raiders have a very interesting situation with Antonio Pierce, their interim head coach, where he's won a lot of games. And it's just like, do you give the job to him? And it's just like, we will see. We'll see. They probably don't make the same mistake again, but I don't know. We'll see what happens. Eagles at Giants. Eagles. They shouldn't lose to the Giants. Seattle at Cardinals. Probably Seattle. I mean, I know Seattle or the Cardinals just beat the Eagles, but it really shouldn't be that the Seattle Seahawks lose to the Arizona Cardinals next week but then watch watch as they do rams at niners rams aren't even playing their starters so it's kind of a coin flip i'll just take the 49ers puka nasua cooper cup aaron donald aren't even playing i don't know if matt stafford is playing but if no one is playing stafford shouldn't play but so i'll just take the niners chiefs at chargers chiefs chargers suck bills at dolphins i'm taking the dolphins i'm rooting for chaos 
if the Bills lose against the Dolphins and the Bills and, and a bunch of other things happen, like the Steelers beating Baltimore, then the Bills, they don't get in. It is weird how the Buffalo Bills will either have to be the number two seed to get into the playoffs or nothing at all. It's just like, wow, that's a bit unbelievable, to be honest with you. But yeah, that's uh, that's the case. I'm trying to look at the schedule here. Yep. It's like the Browns already have their playoff spot. Steelers could potentially get another spot. And then another team from the AFC South could potentially get it in. And that's how the Bills don't get in. Been insane that that actually happened. But it is what it is. Anyways, I'm peacing out for tonight. I'm exhausted. I'll see you tomorrow. 24's podcast.